A uh, story that didn't get a lot of attention over the weekend, but I think it's something we got to keep our eye on, is that uh, we know that after the Senate bipartisan plan was voted down on you know, getting U- aid to Ukraine, Taiwan, and Israel uh, in return for greater border security, uh, they're, they're the problem solvers, which is an interesting group in the Congress. I mean, it's, it's folks that kind of tend towards the middle, but there are also people willing to reach across the aisle. Elizabeth, uh, uh, Alyssa Slotkin, uh, Debbie Dingell. I believe on the right, uh, we've got John James, which is now yep. members mm-hmm. of, of the Problem Solvers Caucus. So this is what they've come up with. Remain in Mexico is reinstated. Title 42 is reinstated, not as a pandemic measure, but as a border control emergency measure. When you're given the, you know, the two million that have come over, I think you can, it qualifies as an emergency. And then also label Russia as a, a sponsor of state terrorism. After the the Navalny, the, the Navalny deal, yeah, and um, this is one of those things that's being floated out there. Uh, Lindsey Graham was on uh, the uh, meet, meet the Press and said this: "I see a pathway forward now for Ukraine, Taiwan, and, and uh, Israel. I see a way to secure our border in a more simple fashion. Let's make Russia a state sponsor of terrorism. All of this can happen in the next thirty days. It would be a game changer for the world. So uh, we'll see what happens." He was asked by Kristen Welker, have you talked to Pre- President Trump about it? Uh-huh. Said, no, but the, the, the Russian thing was his idea. Uh, so we'll see. President Trump did not mention it from the rally stage on Saturday. Not a mention about this or Navalny. Talked a lot about the border, but not the solution mm-hmm. to the border. Uh, as I said, last week we saw so many laws taking effect. One of the ones that did not have immediate effect that was that uh, that happened last week was the end of a decade of right-to-work laws here in the state of Michigan. What does that mean for business going forward? It was certainly a Democratic uh, payback to organized labor, which has been against it for years. We welcome Sandy Barua, President and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. Sandy, good morning. Good morning, Guy. You guys on your website uh, did a very nice white paper, I think, on this and, and laying out your perspective that this, and I mean, it's, I mean you, you, you warned of this back in March when it was passed, but this weakens our competitive position. How much does it weaken it? Well, you know, it's hard to quantify because we often don't know what kind of business we don't get in Michigan uh, because of this you know, change in the law. So there's certain things that uh, are kind of more quantifiable. One, businesses hate uncertainty. And, you know, we have in Michigan something that that we call the, the Michigan Policy 180. We do something for a while, then we kind of dramatically shift courses. And right to work is yet another example of something that we had done, as you mentioned, a decade ago, and now we're not doing it anymore. And businesses hate that kind of, you know, uh, veering around the freeway uh, uh, unpredictability. Um, uh, saying that, you know, some argue that the right to work law had positive effects on economic growth, particularly in certain sectors like manufacturing. Is that valid? And w- what might be the broader implications of repealing the law? Yeah, Lloyd, we, we, we don't buy that argument. So first of all, any state, and we have lots of examples that have enacted right to work, and every time that happens, the number of existing union shops that cease to be union shops 
is incredibly minimal. So it's not like when a state moves to enact right to work, all of these union shops all of a sudden become uh, non-union shops. That, 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 that just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And certainly you can see in Michigan a decade ago when we did this, we did not see all of these union shops all of a sudden become uh, ununion shops, right? So the union shops that were union shops will continue to be and did continue to be union shops. So uh, the real advantage in having a right to work law is the message that it sends to prospective employers in Michigan. One of the things that was inexplicable about this was when it was being debated, when there were hearings on it, um, our, our friends and allies up at the Michigan chamber were not allowed to testify. In fact, those that were against uh, repealing right to work, I think there was only one guy from the southern border of Michigan, a county economic official that was allowed to speak. And one of the things that he raised, Sandy, is very interesting. He said, if we can't sell ourselves as a right to work state, it means we're going to have to shower businesses with incentives of another variety to to cancel the, the cost competitiveness problem. How much of this will raise the cost of of drawing businesses here? Yeah, I mean, you know, ideally what everybody wants, you know, I don't care if you're a conservative or you're a liberal, what everyone wants is a business environment where we don't have to write checks, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the way we write checks in Michigan, for the most part, I think is actually pretty smart. We just don't write a blank check. What we do is say, listen, if you bring in X number of jobs and those jobs actually meet some standards in terms of how much they pay and those jobs actually materialize, then we'll give you some future tax breaks, right? And so basically that is kind of a low cost, if not a no cost way of, of attracting jobs. But, you know, but it, that's kind of hard to explain. So why do that when you can just have a business environment where people say, oh, Michigan is a good place to do business because, one, I have predictability, and that predictability is that I'm going to have a reasonable cost of doing business. And, Sandy, you know, when you look ahead, what do you believe will be the key factors shaping the success uh, or even the challenges uh, of, of Michigan's the, the post-right-to-work era? And, I mean, and I'm talking about for workers and businesses alike. Well, I mean, you know, uh, I think what you guys were just talking about, Lloyd, about having to, you know, have, you know, different or more incentive programs. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, there isn't an appetite on either side of the aisle to do more of those. But, you know, if we're going to continue to attract businesses here, uh, you know, we might have to do do more of that. Uh, we have to may spend more uh, on, say, infrastructure. Uh, which is something we need to do kind of anyway. So, but maybe we have to do more of that to entice businesses to say, listen, you know, we'll build a road for you or we'll build, you know, we'll ensure that your underground utilities are, are taken care of and things like that. I mean, that's something that has long-term economic impact uh, benefit anyway. Um, so it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, but again, this whole idea of the Michigan policy 180, where we do something for a while and we just change <laughs> our minds, uh, is something that we've got to get over in this state. Whiplash, never a comfortable <laughs> thing. Uh, finally, before we let you go, uh, the Biden administration in the last uh, 12, 18 hours has said that uh, that it is undertaking some regulatory changes that would basically move the goalposts on green energy 
and EV Sandy, that is going to give automakers, dealers, and most importantly, consumers more time to get comfortable with the EV transition. Welcome news to automakers. Um, so again, this is kind of another version of a policy 180, just, just, at, just at the federal level. So, um, you know, we're seeing dealers now advocating for exactly what's happening. We haven't really seen the manufacturers jump on board yet. Uh, One, because the manufacturers, unlike the dealers, have to have these investments in place years and years in advance. Mm Mm-hmm. And and, and you see the the impact of when there's a dramatic shift in uh, in in consumer behavior that, you know, the manufacturers just can't, you know, uh, flip on a dime because, I mean, you know, the tooling, the manufacturing, the planning. I mean, you know, know, it's it's just it's just enormous. Well, they've already got sunk costs, right? Now they're they're waiting for the return on those things and they could certainly use maybe a little help. Uh, so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword. Sandy, we thank you so much, and uh, have a great week. You guys have a great week as well. All right. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation about the Biden environmental changes with Keith Naughton, Bloomberg automotive reporter, and also ask this question. Just because the Biden administration does it, will California follow? Next on JR Morning.